This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this episode, I'm presenting a recent interview I had with filmmaker Jonathan Levine, who's the director of the new Hulu series, Nine Perfect Strangers. There's a lot of buzz surrounding Nine Perfect Strangers, which is a series that follows a group of people brought together to attend a very mysterious and expensive wellness retreat led by a Russian woman named Damasha. The series comes from the creator and writer of Big Little Lies, David E. Kelly, and has an all-star cast led by Nicole Kidman, as well as folks such as Melissa McCarthy, Bobby Cannavale, Michael Shannon, Regina Hall, Samara Weaving, Luke Evans, and more. Nine Perfect Strangers marks the first real TV gig for Jonathan Levine, who's probably best known for his features such as Warm Bodies, 50-50, and his most recent film, The Long Shot. In the interview, we talk about the reason he decided to take a TV project now, what it's like working with Nicole Kidman in this incredible cast, and a little bit about other projects, such as his upcoming Dirty Dancing sequel, as well as a story behind why he walked away from the Spider-Man Homecoming director search, even though he is one of the final people pitching to Marvel. But before I throw it to the interview, I got to tell you, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, and more. If you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, so now it's time for the interview with Jonathan Levine, the director of Nine Perfect Strangers, which is airing on Hulu now. Enjoy. So yeah, you, you're you directing Nine Perfect Strangers, a little Hulu indie project, nobody yes. big involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you were approached for this project, I assume you knew Nicole Kidman was involved. Obviously, she's a producer I, I on the series. Nicole and, and Melissa were involved. Okay, great. So was that ever, was that part of the attraction or was it the project? What, what drew you to it? I would say that was like, I, I, I came into it very blindly. So I would say, I would not recommend this to, to any uh, filmmaker, but I was, it was it, my friend Bruna who produced Warm Bodies. Um, she and I were in a meeting about something else and she mentioned this project. And she mentioned David and she mentioned that it was based on a book and uh, by Leon Moriarty. And she mentioned, so so the Big Little Lies team, which was a show I loved and Nicole and Melissa. And then I read the pilot or the first episode and I I loved it. Um, And then I was like, yeah, I should, I should do this. You know, I think at first I was only going to do half of it. Um, So, and, but I hadn't read the book, so I had no idea what happened. So that was like the one maybe I should have vetted it a little bit more, but then I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh my God, this is like right in my wheelhouse. Um, I had no idea where it was going to go. And so I was very lucky that it happened to be something that I really loved because I was already doing it. Um, But I think that instinctively, I sort of, um, I loved the humanity of, 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 of the writing. I loved the, um, just the, the lived-in characters that, 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 that David and Leon created. And then I, more than anything, and I think this is probably why Bruno thought of me for it, I just love the tonal ambition of it. Um, you know, the tone of this thing is batshit. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's um, you know, and so that for me is another 
whenever I consider a project, I'm like, well, why would I be the right person for this? You know, why? And I think that for me, where, where some people might be afraid of this type of tone, um, for me, it's like, I, I just love it. You know, it scares me um, as well, but I, but, I, but I do just embrace it. And I think that just, I, I do have sort of a playbook having done 50-50 and having done more bodies um, where I can, I, I sort of know the calibration of humor and, 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 and character drama. Certainly I can do that. And then now we're adding thriller, horror, absurdist, surrealist. Um, so all that stuff really excited me. It's not very often you see something like that, um, especially not with these auspices, you know? Um, yeah. So that was, that, was, that was a long answer, but that's my answer. Well, actually that touches on my next question for you, which is the tone. The first yeah. thing, so you mentioned this has, a, the first episode is the pilot, but you really can't call it a pilot because this, yeah. is, this is one big story. Right. But that first episode is always crucial in nailing the tone of the series. Yeah. And this, like you said, it's dramatic, it's funny, it's creepy, it's mysterious, it's tense, it's all of the above. Yeah. So when you're navigating that in the first hour, trying to give, give people an idea of what they're signing up for, yeah. how difficult is that? Especially, I mean, you have a huge ensemble as well. Like, like the first hour um, was, I've never spent more time editing and re-editing something than that, that first hour. Um, not only do you have to sort of convey the tone very quickly and economically, you're also, I just imagine myself as a TV viewer, whenever I turn something on, I'm like, all right, impress me. You know, I got 10 minutes. I've turned off great shows after 10 minutes. And then people had to tell me years later that I need to revisit them. So there's also that added level of pressure. And so we tried so many different things. I mean, the, the beginning was completely different. We moved things around. We, um, we revisited so many different things. And then we because it can't be right, because the, the, the pilot is, it's got a lot of jokes, you know, David writes a lot of jokes, and I appreciate that. His jokes are incredibly funny. I, I also appreciate that. Um, so we really needed it to feel, even though there were jokes, we needed it to not feel jokey. And even though, um, and we also needed it to feel like they're going somewhere mysterious, but we're not like overselling that. We don't want to, you know, we don't, we don't want you to feel like firmly locked into any specific genre in, in, in those first sort of 10, 15 minutes. Once that happens, then you can sort of build some mystery and stuff like that. I, but I did really look at it like a horror movie. You know, I looked at it like the beginning of a horror movie and all these people are going um, to basically a haunted house and you're establishing them and, you, and, 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 and you're establishing them, but you're also establishing a layer of mystery so that the audience can lean in. So we, definitely like it was a lot of just like taking stuff out putting stuff back it was a very um it was a very challenging and interesting process um the beginning of warm bodies was actually very much the same way um when you do it wrong it's a disaster you know yeah. so but it's not like but the difference between wrong and right is like so minimal you know it's very much you, it has to be very precisely calibrated and Another thing that really helped was the music, the score, you know, um, by Marco Beltrami and, and Miles Hankins and, and really calibrating that music and making sure that it promised a little bit of wonder, but it also had a little bit of mystery bubbling beneath. Um, I looked at so many movies, uh, like from Get Out to Midsommar to a lot of like 70s kind of 
so I don't know what what do you call these movies? Are they like 70s psychological thrillers? Like what's like Don't Look Now or Picnic at Hanging Rock? Is there like a name for that? Yeah, I mean it's got to be like psychological thriller or like yeah. art horror. I don't know. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so so I, I I looked at a lot of those too, and I think that what we landed on was that the guys would do some kind of almost like Pino Donaggio kind of um, music at the very top that was like uh, sort of underscoring the theme that there is darkness in beauty, basically. And so the beauty of the score and the melodic nature of the score, I think also helps there. But yeah, man, it was actually really, really hard. And we, ne we were never gonna start with, with the Marconis. Um, but then one day, um, our second editor wasn't even editing this, this, this episode was like, I think you should start with the Marconis because they are sort of the fulcrum around which the whole story um, revolves. And I think that, you know, so we would, sometimes we start with Melissa and I think the other thing you're doing is like people are bringing their own preconceived notions to the, you know, that's, that's like the blessing and the curse of, of having so many famous people is like, you're like, well, we, we want you to see Melissa McCarthy, but we don't want you to think you're in a Melissa McCarthy movie. So. So that's why I think we we moved her like two in and we started with Michael who is and Michael and his family who are um, incredible in this show, by the way. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. yeah. All three of them are just are just beautiful. Thank you. Um, but um, I think that was good because that show that you, you see it, Shannon, and you also see that he's doing something a little lighter. So I thought it was it was it was it felt closer to me to the tone to show a dramatic actor exhibiting levity than it did a comedic actor exhibiting drama chops at the beginning. It just felt like it was gonna ground the audience a little bit more in what we were trying to do. Um, but yeah, it was hard, it was crazy. And then, and then I think one day we just felt like we kind of we had it. Um, but even in the mix and stuff, I was doing little stuff all the time to just like make sure we were gonna, it just felt, it, it, it's very, there's certain things as a director where you're like, I have a little latitude in this part of the story, right? Like the story's carrying you, the performances are carrying you. You don't need to spend that much time on a sound of a bird, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that, that comes in between two, two lines of dialogue. But like literally in the first 10 minutes, I was like, every single thing had to be like perfect um, or whatever, what I thought was perfect. So, I'm, not, I'm not claiming it is perfect. <laughs> right. But it does. It, it is a, a tightrope that you walk in that first, uh, the first like 20 minutes of the show. Yeah. Um, but so you mentioned David E. Kelly and, and Nicole Kidman and uh, the Big Little Lies team basically yeah. uh, kind of is the genesis of this. What's it like stepping into a TV series that already has this kind of camaraderie between producers and writers and all that and then kind of being the new guy, even though you're the director? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's something people don't often think about is like, what are the social implications of being a director? You know, that's why I liked doing all eight because I have in the past, I was much younger, I've, I've stepped in and done a single episode of, of, a, of a TV show and you're in your head, the whole, you're like, oh my God, what's what the last person doing? What are the next person doing? Do these guys think I'm as good as this person? Or It's just, just like, it's like high school. You can't shut up, or at least me, I can't shut that up. This was a little different because... Um, it's not like no one was ever physically in the same space. So, um, so it wasn't that like socially oppressive. I think what's great about this group is like much like working with Seth and Evan, they're incredibly collaborative and they wanna give you, they wanna just sort of donate the script to you and let you do your thing, you know? Um, once they trusted me, they trusted me. Um, and I didn't think a lot about Big Little Lies 
um, honestly, because it's just, to me, this was just so different. To me, like this is, you know, that has a, an element of social satire that I think is kind of baked in here, but wasn't that interesting to me to be the main thing. Like to me, the main thing is like exploring our perceptions of reality, exploring what like objective reality is, exploring how you can sort of create your own version of reality, you know, deal with your past, be in the present, like all these kind of things that I think are universal. Um, and so, and, and I don't think that was the agenda of Big Little Lies at all. Um, and, and by the way, I love Big Little Lies. Um, it just felt so, even though it kind of like is the same milieu and it's, a, you know, there's obviously similarities. Um, to me, this was, I, I tried to put that out of my mind. And it wasn't like I'm on the phone with Leon and David every day and like trying to navigate that. Um, so it was, it was okay. I mean, um, the, the, thing that's, the thing that's interesting, like I've never worked with more new, usually I try to work with like people I've worked with before um, because it's nice to have that shorthand. It's also nice, frankly, to know what people's blind spots are and when you need to step in. And like, I didn't know that about anyone. Um, not that there were many blind spots, but I just mean, it, it, it's nice to know like sort of people's strengths and people's weaknesses who are your collaborators. Um, and I very quickly got up to speed with, with, with where I could best kind of shape the show. Um, but that is something that is, I, I, you know, cause I usually work with at least one person I've worked with before. Um, and now next time I work with these guys, I'll have that information. And I did the, the thing is it's such a long haul, like it's 98 days. I'd never shot anything that was more than 45 before. So you right. do quickly catch up to speed. Um, but yeah, that's the more than the sort of that, that was that's sort of the weird thing about stepping into something is the not just the social dynamics, but like the the 360 degree like court vision that you need to figure out how you're going to get the best thing possible. Yeah. So uh, switching gears just a little bit here, we'll talk about the the, the story or the plot of, of Nine Perfect Strangers for a second. This is about nine people who come to this like exotic, very up upper crust elite resort retreat thing. Um, and it kind of plays on the idea of this like woo woo new age spiritualism retreat place, you know, in the hills thing. So what type of research did you do for that? And did you join a cult? Uh, so I joined a cult. Um, that was not for this. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I read some books. Um, I talked to a lot of people who had been to places like this. I'd been to like a light version of a place like this. I, I intended to go to a place like this, but there was a, the, a pandemic that happened. Uh, right. early on and on. So I talked to a lot of people. Regina Hall was very helpful. She has a kid. Um, I'm also like, I really dug into like the thematics of it. Cause, uh, cause I mean, it's, they do go to this place. Right. And, uh, but this is a, this is, this place is, it's grounded certainly, but it's also a little bit heightened. Right. right. So, I did not feel the need to, um, I did not feel as beholden to reality as it applied to the place itself, as I did to the reality of the characters and, and their journeys. Um, but I definitely did a lot. I had a lot of conversation with people. I talked to, um, I talked to a lot of people who ran places like this. The, the place we actually shot is a real wellness retreat. So we had the people who were working there um, helping us with that as well. Um, so that was probably the extent of my research. I mean, I did like I we also did these things that would help ground it 
for the actors. Like I created a, a daily schedule and then we printed it out and they, they received it um, when they arrived. Um, little things like that to just give the place, even in its own kind of heightened state, a little bit more grounded texture. Um, I did do more research, but I can't, I, I guess, uh, like some of the stuff I researched, I can't really talk about. because Yeah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Um, I, re I researched all this crazy shit that's a spoiler that you guys need to watch the <laughs> show to find out about. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's definitely important that people kind of go in with no expectations yes. and kind of let the story unfold. Because Yeah, uh, or even low expectations. If I always will accept low expectations. There you go. And will exceed them. Uh, well, speaking of low expectations, you got yes. this lead Nicole Kidman. Good segue, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. No one expects much from her. No, I, I got to ask you, is she yes. naturally creepy? And I ask this jokingly, obviously, because she's a fine actress, but yes. she has this character, Masha, who we were talking about tone earlier, juggles kind of this tone within her character of yeah. this welcoming, beautiful presence. And then, well, is, is there something else going on there, yes. you know? So did you guys talk about that and writing that fine line without getting into camp at all? Because I, I assume that that is a worry. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I honestly wasn't, I, she was so unafraid and brave and didn't really, like, she understands tone so, in a, such a sophisticated way. Um, I, to me, yes, we talked about what we wanted and we talked about, you know, she's, she's this kind of enigmatic uh, jumble of contradictions, you know, and I feel like sometimes even she would deliver a line in a way that was incredibly warm and then she'd add a creepy smile to it. Like, I think she kind of technically, because she's such a technically impressive performer, um, she was able to technically kind of in distill those, that, that um, internal contradiction of her character into almost every beat of her character. Um, and then, no, I mean, we did not talk about camp, although I don't, I don't find camp to be a, such a pejorative, you know, like I think that clearly this tone is a big swing and she wasn't afraid of it. And I was a little afraid of it. Um, and she kind of held my hand and guided me to the point where I wasn't afraid of it. You know what I mean? Because she, I trust her to find the truth of those moments. And I guess that's what, that's what, can take a big performance and make it feel grounded and real. And I think that for me, again, just talking about how these big tonal swings don't really scare me, even though they do, like I still embrace the fear, um, she did as well. And I think that um, that's why I find her performance to be perhaps my favorite in the whole show because it's the highest degree of difficulty. Um, and it's in the wrong hands, it could go incredibly wrong. Um, you know, she also is able to give you 10 different things on 10 different takes. So you're putting it together in that way. Um, but no, she was, she's doing something big. And I think that, you know, as much as I love her in The Undoing, as much as I love her in Big Little Lies, like I love her the most in To Die For, you know? I love her the most when she's taking a risk and when she's taking a big swing. Um, and so I think that as, as the person directing that performance, you do not want to be freaking your actor out by asking them to do less. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, and she's so, and, and I think um, in the last two episodes, especially the, the show begins to pivot more into her point of view and you sort of see, um, you sort of get a lot of answers about her character and you, and you, um, and I just, um, 
I just think everything she she's she's done with this character is, is, is so brilliant. And and the other interesting thing about it is you don't know if she's the protagonist or the antagonist, right? I mean, you don't really know. And um, that sort of push and pull of audience identification, in addition to the to the very kind of um, multitude of internal contradictions about, well, she's a wellness guru, but she's also like a bit of a megalomaniac. Like she's <laughs> a, you know, so I think uh, to me, all that stuff kind of, um, kind of creates a very, very interesting character. And I think that, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where the, the line between camp and taking a big swing is, um, but, you know, we certainly were, we were, we were conscious, everything is in there um, by tonal design. We had a lot of conversations about, about tone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think um, it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen her do. Yeah, she's great in it for sure. Um, so I want to talk kind of about your career for a second. You yes. primarily, you mentioned earlier, you primarily have, have stuck to film. You've done a few episodes of TV here and there, nothing yeah. as ambitious in TV as this, yeah. but prestige limited series is kind of like the, the, the big buzzword right now, you know? Yeah. And so was that always on your radar, the idea of doing one of these extended series, or was that just something you kind of just, as you said before, you didn't realize you're going to do it. And now this is the good time to do it. Well, I mean, I was only going to do four. And then Bruno was like, no, this always works best when you do all of them. Like, I think be between her experience with John Mark and Suzanne Beard, it was like, it's just, you know, and especially with the tone as crazy as this. Like, so she talked me into doing all of them. I've never, again, shot that long. And it was like, I mean, it's like, it's debilitating. It's like physically exhausting and mentally exhausting because you never really have a day off. Um, it, it was not like a calculated career move. Um, I, I will say what, what you're able to do with something like this is like, this could never be a movie, right? It's just right. like the studio would, it would turn into like a road thriller or, or something. I would never be able to do the kind of weird tonal balance things that I'm, that I'm able to do here, which is something I think I, 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 I'm, I, some value I can add as a director and, 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 is, and it makes the whole thing very exciting to me. I, I, I really have a hard time doing anything that's just like one thing. Um, and that makes your options much more limited now in, in a movie. Um, there's just not that many movies that get made. There's just not that many, you know, and then, and then, and the cast was, it was, it was a huge attraction. And then, you know, you get, as a filmmaker, you get sick of like, you put all your, work into this thing and then it's like it comes out one weekend and like if if no one sees it it's considered a failure so and you're and you're and you're reliant on, i mean obviously it's evolving now um but you're reliant on this sort of all or nothing situation and uh, you know a movie i was just coming off long shot which like was one of my favorite things i'd ever done and i just fucking loved it and then we came out like came out with a weekend after avengers and like you know i'm not i'm not complaining about it but 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 it was like it was a, it definitely didn't end on a, on a positive note for me. Um, so I think it's just, it, there, there, was, there was a certain like feeling of safety in going to do something like this, um, that it could just live or die on its merits alone. Um, and there was also something about the ability to push it tonally um, and not have to, and you know, in television, when you take a risk, or you do something that's sort of outside the box, that's what people like, right? And in a movie, when you do that, you're told not to because it doesn't test well or it's, you know what I mean? It's like, 
So um, that was more, it was more just like the creative allure of it um, than anything else. And, and also just not, um, you know, I, I was doing um, studio comedies and like, I don't know that that's a theatrical situation anymore. Um, unfortunately, yeah. it's a bummer. Hopefully yeah. it, it will become one again, but who knows what's gonna happen? It's I mean, yeah, that's a that, that's a big question mark for sure. Yeah. So um, let's talk about a, a a project that was announced last year, which yeah. was a Dirty Dancing sequel. Yeah, uh, got any updates on that? Is that still happening? I know COVID kind of throws everything for a loop, but this is speaking of of, of transitions for you. That's a yes. one that people might not expect. That's 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 something I'm going to be producing and co-writing. Um, okay, I probably will not direct it. I do not feel like I'm the right person to direct it. Um, but we have a great story um, and we have, well, I don't want to talk too much about it. Right. Um, I will say that, um, that I just love the original so much um, that we are being relentless in um, trying to set that bar really, really high. We're not going to just do something for the sake of doing it. Um, so right now I'm sort of pivoting to co-writing it. Um, since that's like, I just finished editing this show maybe like a month ago. And now I think I'm gonna dive into that. Um, and uh, I think it's gonna be great. But if it's not, you'll never see it because we won't make it. <laughs> that's good, that's good. And uh, I, don't think, I don't think it will be the next thing I direct. I have some other things I'm excited about and I'm also excited to not do anything for a bit. Anything that you're interested in teasing that you're gonna direct? Um, I mean, none, probably nothing I should talk about just yet. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I do want to, I'm a big nerd. Uh, so I got to talk to you about Spider-Man. You've already okay. talked about this before, but I wanted yeah. to ask you, because I thought it was really interesting when you were asked like why you you spoke to Marvel, apparently goes the story. Oh, okay, so here, I've, read, there, I've seen this article. I did, I did an interview with someone where it says, I turned down Spider-Man to pursue studio comedies. And that is not exactly accurate. Okay. I, I will say the, the more accurate thing was, it was like, kind of like breaking up with someone right when they're about to break up with you. So like, <laughs> I could see it probably wasn't gonna go my way or that I wasn't going to, or that I was unwilling to keep moving forward with the process. And so I pulled out. Fair but enough. I don't think, I'm not necessarily sure I would have, I, I don't think I would have gotten that job. So, but I was like one of the last three people in the mix. Anyway, I interrupted your question. I did no, 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 no. That's, that's that misconception. That's part of it because I wanted to, because one of the, the interviews I read was you had said that you just weren't feeling necessarily that that was a good point for you to, to jump into the blockbuster space. And, and that has been, gosh, like four years, five years now, probably. Yeah. Are, do you feel any different about that? Do you, do you look at that as, as a potential for you? Because we were just talking, the movies that are getting made are superhero blockbusters. I certainly like see people I know who are able to do it and do it with their own idiosyncratic voice. And I'm incredibly jealous of them because it's like if to make something creative and uh, that has a point of view in that framework, I think is, is a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, like I'm still down to like find one that I um, feel like I'm a good fit for. I think that was the thing about Spider-Man was I felt like I was a really good fit for my version of that. You know, I, 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 I haven't read every IP comic thing that exists, but I grew up reading Spider-Man um, and I'm a New Yorker and I like making movies about younger people. So it was like, um, and it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been um, anything like John Watts Spider-Man, um, but 
So, and, and so, so you really, so that's like one thing you really need to think you're going to crush it. Um, and I'm very confident in what I do, but I definitely, if I took the wrong thing, like I, I wouldn't do a good job. Um, and then it is like that, that process is really, really challenging. So what, what I found is a lot of times those opportunities may arise, but in order to even get to like the part where you're considered for the job, you have to like treat it like a full-time job for like a month. And I'm always either writing or on set or, or you know, so I don't really have time to drop everything and immerse myself in, in a new thing that I didn't grow up on, you know? Like I grew up on X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man, and that's it. So unless I'm doing one of those, uh, it's gonna be hard because just the learning curve is so, um, but I see, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, um, I did like, like that the process left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I was, for a while, I was like, I, I, I don't wanna do any comic book stuff. But then like, they just keep doing such good shit, man. And they keep <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, WandaVision is like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but like, I'm, 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 I'm like, I would, still be interested in stuff like that it would just need to be the right fit yeah and, and i do and think I, I do think i would be better suited for it now having done something like this um which is inserting myself into a process and trying to translate my own point of view into something um that is not my own um so yeah no i was gonna say we were uh rodrigo and i were talking offline about about this because i had mentioned the the wow. article about you and and he had said oh man a, a jonathan levine spider-man would be great it seems like a perfect fit and it does and and uh also yeah, I mean, how good was that other spider-man so no bad. but it is it is it is good no 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 shade on john watts because i mean he's, he's i mean great. i watched it and then I, like, the greatest thing in that movie because and i think that this is the other hard thing for me about marvel movies is like by the third act i i, I can't remain invested because yeah. and that movie's third act was like that twist is just so good like it's such a great yeah. twist and it's such a great script um anyway sorry but my, oh, did, my, it, my version would have been dope too yeah yeah and it didn't hurt that they had michael keaton too um, well yeah but they probably got michael keaton because it was such a good uh, twist it's very true very true um so yeah that's and and you mentioned x-men you know you've you've done ensemble so why not let's see it yeah, man. If any Marvel people listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I'm going to wrap up now. Everybody go watch Nine Perfect Strangers coming to Hulu on August 18th. Um, and it's good. And it has big stars. And it's directed by Jonathan Levine. So there you go. So you got to see it. You, you have to. It's <laughs> so an imperative. It's just, yeah. Um, thank you, man. Uh,